Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. I'm so thrilled to have Karen Beaver, the CEO of Georgia Center for Nonprofits, on this episode. Karen is someone that I've looked up to for quite some time, and she's dedicated her career to helping nonprofits be successful. We talk about her leadership style, what she feels are the three things that any nonprofit needs to have in order to be successful, and where her drive to do good comes from. Let's get into it. All right, I am very excited to chat with my friend Karen today, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna remind Karen in a second of how she first helped me with something that was really important to me. But Karen, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? I am the CEO of the Georgia Center for Nonprofits, and um, we create thriving communities by helping nonprofits succeed. So we do all of that unsexy business work on the back end of nonprofits while they do all the amazing work that they do to make impact every day on healthcare and education and human services and arts and culture and all the environmental things and all the wonderful things that they do um, on the front end. We help them manage, lead, and govern better on the back end. I love it. I love that. Yep. And it's so needed because as you know, like people who start nonprofits, they start because they have a, a passion to, to do good and to help, but they're not always, you know, they don't always have an MBA or some sort of business degree. And so they have to learn that stuff and, and you guys help them with that. That's true. And it's, you know, that's kind of much like the small business sector itself, right? Lots of people start businesses or become a dentist just because you're a dentist doesn't mean you run a business, right? Um, but, you know, it's like any kind of industry, right? There are certainly our share of smaller nonprofits, which are so critical to neighborhoods and local communities. And there are, you know, mid-sized groups and there are large and there are very large global groups. And no matter the size you are, you always need a strategy. You always need a revenue model. You need, um, you know, financial management. You need um, leaders uh, who are clear about their strategy and understand how to work with people. And so, all of those things, regardless of size or your particular, you know, whether you're a startup or not, um, you're going to have to continue to pay attention to those things. And so, we help a variety of different size nonprofits and types of nonprofits throughout the state. I love that. And one of the things I, I um, love about nonprofits that is harder in the for-profit sector is that um, there's actually a true purpose for the organization, like something that people can really rally behind, right? And sometimes in for-profit, that's the part that's missing. Maybe they have all the infrastructure and the process because they've done this before, but it's hard to get people to believe. But nonprofits have that, right? Everyone who goes to work for nonprofit, they're not doing it for the pay. They're doing it because they believe in the cause but then they need that rigor of how do I actually build a company? 
That's true. Um, you know, nonprofits are very purpose driven, you know, and, and we're very fortunate here in Metro Atlanta where GCN is headquartered. We certainly work all over the state, but we have tremendous numbers of companies that are um, such great citizens and have that purpose driven component, whether it's to create, you know, vibrant workplaces or um, do what they do um you know, for, uh, for their own constituency. I think, I think regardless of whether you're a for-profit or nonprofit, if you don't have a core purpose that is beyond just the making of money, um, there's probably something wrong with your business. It's probably not doing as well as it could. Um, but I would say, yeah, nonprofits are, are, uh, specifically oriented that way. We do not, um, make money in order to reward stockholders or owners. The community itself are our owners and we have stakeholders, which are all the constituents that we serve through building things like the Beltline and the path and, you know, helping out parks and libraries and, you know, providing, you know, animals to adopt and, you know, feeding the homeless and all of those kinds of things that we always, um, what I say is we make community profit margins. We don't make profit margins, right? So what we do betters community and the degree and amount to which we can better community is in fact our community profit margin. Oh, I love that community profit margin. That's awesome. Um, in 2015, I, re- I don't know if this is the first time we met, um, but I reached out to you because I was um, starting a nonprofit. Um, I had this idea for putting on a hackathon to build 48 nonprofit websites in 48 hours and I had never started a nonprofit before and I had some people, you know, Ken Bernhardt and Kramer who were, you know, giving me advice and <coughs> probably both of them, but definitely I got the recommendation. You got to talk to Karen and the uh, Georgia center for nonprofits. And you had a meeting with us. You gave advice. You guys supported us. Um, I know that some of our team members uh, attended some, some um, workshops and you've promoted and continued to do that. And, and I just wanted you to know, I don't know if I ever told you that, but that helped so much and continues to help with a small nonprofit that's trying to grow when I, we really didn't know what we were doing. So I'm proof that what you're doing really makes an impact. Wow, well, that is great to hear. And I, I got to tell you, you started with some great people with Ken and Ann. Uh, you know, you couldn't ask for a better uh, startup team than, than them. And we were happy to help. And that's really kind of part of what our mission is, is to connect folks, good folks that have a passion and, and have a, a sense of what their purpose is with, you know, kind of how to do that and who can help them. And so I'm glad to hear, you know, that we were of some service in that regard. And y'all have done amazing work with 48 and 48. And we've certainly tried to support and refer all manner of groups because it's a huge issue, right? With nonprofits, you don't always have um, a lot of bandwidth on your staff to just, oh, we're going to create a website right now or work on our brand or you know, attach a widget to our web, our WordPress site. It doesn't always work out really well <laughs> when you don't have those technologies. So it's great to have um, y'all's skill set and your um, your power behind uh, convening all of these technologists to do this good work in community. Mm. So thank you. No, I appreciate that. Thanks. So um, I I was trying to figure out: Have you did you work? Did you go straight from college to Georgia Center for Nonprofits? I didn't know. Um, I worked at an organization before that that provided legal services to 
um, people that were in poverty and homeless. And so um, it's no longer uh, with us. Uh, I think it was around for about 30 years or so. So it's a bit like legal aid or Georgia Legal Services. And so we provided a lot of that turnkey legal for populations that they don't particularly serve. And I did that for a while. And um, then kind of got wind that the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta had a position open at a little startup that they had um, internally. And they are, you know, they do a lot of that over there. They've started the Atlanta Women's uh, Fund and the uh, AIDS Fund. And gosh, I can't, you know, if I had to enumerate it all, the Neighborhood Fund, the Neighborhood Nexus, lots of things, you know, they're just a font of good ideas. So they had started the Georgia Center for Nonprofits. And I think I joined them maybe like four years after it had started. Um, okay. So I think there was like two people, two and a half people, and I was one of the two and a half. And kind of grew it from there. But, you know, over my career, I guess if I had to say who I am or what I do, it's more of a social entrepreneur. I kind of grow things from ideas is a good way to put it. Definitely. And and you went to Agnes Scott, is that right? I did. I what did you what did you major in? To nothing end up- relevant. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the beauty of a liberal arts degree, though. You get a little taste of this and a little taste of that, right? But I was a biology and psychology double major. And um Okay. So I can tell you what the ingredients on the back of a bar of soap mean, right? I had a chem minor, but um, you know, it has very little relevance to what I do now, other than I guess problem solving or, you know, right. But psychology probably as you lead teams and, and build relationships and so forth, I bet that that must come in handy a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, but I think in undergrad psychology, you're learning more about like uh, the theories of things and all of that. It's, it's a little less about applied psych, right? So um you know, I think I think the whole endeavor of getting through college is um, important. Like if you're a dentist or something like my roommate is a dentist now, that has perfect application into what she did. But, you know, a lot of times I think um, I've met so many people that went to school for one thing and now do another. And I think some of it is just um, about the getting through college and the learning and uh, exploring what you do like and what you don't. And then I think your career is a college in and of itself, right? You learn a lot and you know, kind of accrue skills in your, uh, in yourself and, and build relationships and you figure it out over time. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, did you grow up in Atlanta then? I did. I did. Where'd you, where'd yeah, you grow up? Kirkston, which is now sort of like the hub of international everything in Georgia, right? When I grew up there, it was a bit like Mayberry. I say that all the time, but it really was. You'd expect Opie to be walking down the street. So it's a, it was a place when I grew up that you could start a tab at your, um, at the thrift town um, grocery store and then pay it later. Like, where is that now? Nowhere. Right. So everybody kind of knew you, you know, you could get in, you could do no wrong because you, everybody knew your mother. So that was where I grew up. And high school, which high school? I went to Greater Atlanta Christian, which is in Norcross. And, and then I went to Agnes Scott college. Okay. Gotcha. I went to Stone Mountain High School, so I also yeah, grew up here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I escaped for college, but I came running back as soon as I could. <laughs> so, so I gotta know, um, were you all like, where did you get this? Because now you've your whole career, you know, has been helping others, um, and I think that's really, um, I think that's really amazing and impressive um, the, when people do that. And I'm late to getting into, you know, the nonprofit space and it's, it's so rewarding. It's hard work. Uh, you know, you know, more than anyone was that like, how did you become 
somebody who wanted to do that? Was that always part of your growing up? Did you come into it later? How did that happen? Well, I think, you know, like many people's careers, you just kind of fall into a place and you get kind of intrigued and interested. And so I have been at um, GCN for 24 years. And I would say one of the things that I think is so intriguing about it is the innovation that is present in uh, the nonprofit sector. You know, where there is a need, there is a nonprofit. And, um, and despite what people think about nonprofits, we often have the sense of nonprofits is, you know, doing our work with carefully repaired rubber bands and cast off hotel pencils and things like that. It's actually a very professional sector, right? If you think about higher education and healthcare and, and, um, and even human services, we have, you know, PhDs and master's degrees people more than you could imagine um, doing a lot of uh, work and research and and direct services. Um, and there are uh, tremendous ideas. You know, uh, the nonprofit sector by default is um, kind of indicative of our, our democracy. When you see a problem, you are free as an individual to um, learn more about that and to formulate a solution, galvanize other people to it, and start pursuing the solution um, yourself. You don't have to go through like they do in China and be sponsored by a government entity or um, kind of cobble it together. We have a very well put together structure. So I love the innovation of the sector and I love the ideas and I love the people that have the ideas that work in the sector. And so in my work at GCN, working with so many organizations, over 5,000 nonprofit organizations a year, I mean, we get the benefit of seeing the best in people, the most altruistic side of people, and also the most innovative side of people. And just for your listeners out there, some of the inventions of the sector, the little white dotted lines that go down the middle of the road, that's a nonprofit invention. Hospice is a nonprofit invention. You know, there's so many things, frankly, um, that are, you know, so many um you know, uh, medical devices and, and such that are, you know, nonprofit inventions. And so I think it's a very cool space to work. It is not what people particularly think. And I would say to your listeners too, just like you said, I've come late to nonprofits. Actually, you haven't, you live your life in nonprofits. You just don't know it. You could, uh, be born in a nonprofit hospital, send your kid to a nonprofit daycare, adopt your pet in a nonprofit. You probably ride your bike on the belt line or go to some park that's supported by friends of the park or, you know, and then the arc of your life, whether that's, you know, anything that you're engaged in, even reading, not, you know, you listen to NPR, you look at Georgia public broadcasting, um, you've been touched by any number of diseases I'll assure you, you live your life in nonprofits, whether you have given a minute of your time, a dime or, or any of your work life to it, you do. That's such a great, great point. I didn't know that about the two white lines yeah. down the road. It's very interesting. And like when you really delve into it, so many, um, so many inventions out of the nonprofit sector and like hospice is a great example that started as a pure purely philanthropic endeavor. And, and actually now a lot of for-profits have decided they can make money from that. Right. And so it's, it's kind of moved over to that. And frankly, a lot of social services are that way too. So it's an interesting incubator of, um, for business and it is a, an enormous economic, um, uh, engine for the state of Georgia and for local economies. And people may not realize that, but we are, the fifth largest employer in the state of Georgia, and we have the fourth largest payroll 
Um, we are just about as big as manufacturing, about 95,000 um, uh, jobs shy of equaling manufacturing, and then just behind retail and trade and administrative services, which is sort of like all of the, you know, just add, there's a giant bucket of administrative services um, positions. So we are a major force in the economy of Georgia in terms of employment and then also direct and indirect economic benefits. So if you think about Atlanta in general, you know, people love to come to Atlanta because they like to go to the aquarium, which is a nonprofit, and they like to go to Olympic Park, which, you know, started as that. They like to go, you know, uh, ride on the Beltline, which is a nonprofit. It attracts tourists, you know, and you can, you can point to almost any community across the state of Georgia that will have, you know, Augusta and their Riverwalk, for example, that's a nonprofit. So, you know, they, there is a lot of private, um, public private partnership and nonprofits engaged every, I think every trauma one, uh, level one trauma center in the state of Georgia is a nonprofit. So if you wow. heart attack or you're in some kind of terrible disaster, you're likely to go and being taken care of by a nonprofit. So, um, you know, the economic impact and the significance of this sector is we're like a sleeping giant, mm -hmm. very quiet. We just do our work, right? But um, it matters uh, to your life, um, literally, if you're in an accident, to certainly your quality of life and certainly to the economy in the state of Georgia, more than people might imagine. More than I've ever realized. Yeah. And I've studied the space a bit. I mean, that's really, really amazing. When you mentioned a lot of fantastic uh, companies and nonprofits, when, but, but certainly I'm guessing, you know, in, in small business anyway, uh, you know, 90% never make it. So you've got a lot that try and can't make it. What do you think are the, maybe it's a couple of traits of the leadership or the organization that you see really help companies be successful? as they are building their nonprofit? Yeah, um, I think it's three things. It's a, a great strategy. I think it starts with that, right? You can have a lot of ideas, but having a strategy is something wholly different because you have to be able to implement um, a cadence of activity that, it, that makes sense. You have to be able to galvanize people around what you're trying to do. So you have to be able to communicate that. And so I think having a great strategy is very important, not just an idea, but a strategy. And then I think um, leadership is the second uh, tranche, not necessarily, you know, secondary to a strategy, but leadership as kind of an equal um, driver of success. Um, and I think the third is resources, right? You have to have a revenue model for anything that you're going to do. I don't care whether you're just as an individual trying to make a living and buy a house and do your life or whether you're a small business or a small nonprofit or a large nonprofit, you have to have a revenue model. And so many groups um, fail because they are unclear about what that revenue model particularly is. And I think a lot of people rag on government contracts and things like that. Actually government outsources a lot of things, roads and bridges. And, you know, I mean, I mean, we celebrate that, right? Oh, let's downsize government and outsource all these things and privatize them. Well, they're doing that with nonprofits too, to take care of the elderly and feeding the elderly and um, elder care in terms of, you know, I, I could go on for hours about all the things that they outsource um, to nonprofits. Governments don't give grants, they give contracts, right? So lots of uh, 
that is a component of earned revenue, kind of getting back to my point. Um, so you can have a very diversified portfolio of government contracts. Um, and there are plenty of businesses that have that as well. It's not a negative thing um, because we, the people, need services provided, right? Um, or you could have a wholly um, a sort of like lean on earned revenue from a ticketing perspective. Many arts groups, you know, they, they get the lion's share of their revenue from ticket sales and um, admissions, if you will. Others uh, have a revenue model that is dependent on individual giving, right? Um, those small and large checks that get written by people that just care about the cause. And there's a variety of different ways to to garner those checks. And so that's another kind of revenue model. Every kind of business has a revenue model. I don't care what it is. And so nonprofits need that as well. They need a great strategy, a revenue model that's going to support the strategy and a leader uh, to lead that strategy. And if you got those three things, you're likely to be successful. So, so smart. appreciate that. Um, so I'm thinking about 2020 and I'm curious, um, you know, when I look at what's been happening with the um, nonprofit space, at least from my view, and you see as much as anybody, um, certainly funding is probably down in many cases. And so nonprofits are struggling. And at the same time, the people that they support are probably worse off than they were before. Um, you know, so their services are needed even more, yet they're getting less funding. So how's 2020 gone for for the organizations you see and for Georgia Center for Nonprofits? Yeah, I mean, the quick draw on Georgia Center for Nonprofits is that we are doing fine and we are very fortunate to have a diversified portfolio of revenue that we are not too hard leaning on any one area and that we, I feel we are retaining a lot of our members um, and I think that's because we're delivering value to them, right? So um, that's the short answer to that. I think we're very fortunate and I'm very grateful to everyone that, you know, um, is uh, purchasing our services and retain, you know, retaining their uh, status as members and, and giving to uh, GCN and our work uh, to support groups as they navigate this. So to the larger question, how are nonprofits faring? I think it depends, um, uh, Jeff, on the kind of nonprofit you are are right now. Um, so, you know, if you are an arts, uh, cultural or historic pre preservation type of group right now, you're likely struggling a bit because, um, people's attention is on human, uh, emergency need, right? And that has been, the case through a number of different recessions. I've been around a long time and I've seen this happen before. Um, and it will change as the dynamics in the community change, because I think, you know, arts and culture are incredibly important to both local economies, but also sense of place, right? Well, how, how is it different? Uh, we don't want every place to just be the same, right? Um, having said that, you know, human services is health, human services is, has been really just overwhelmed with demand. And I don't think we've seen the end of that. We have a moratorium in the courts on evictions and such. And so I think everybody sort of just has, you know, kind of um, hunched shoulders, just kind of waiting for that um, to come. And we're very fearful to be all, you know, very transparent of the onslaught of evictions that might happen uh, for families and individuals and what that might mean for services needed. And we're doing everything we can to kind of mitigate that right now with 
um, a variety of different individual foundation and uh, federal funds that have been made available to help people with issues from food to, you know, rent assistance to utility assistance and all the other mental health and everything else. But there is an overwhelming amount of need and pent up demand in all of these um, areas uh, waiting on courts to just, you know, kind of reopen or um, schools uh, to reopen, that kind of thing. And some of the things that you'll see or that we know will happen rather folks may never personally see. So that's the kid that isn't getting instruction right now and is falling further and further behind. And, at some point that will hit our stream and we'll need to um, do what we can to help that kid get up to speed where they need to be um, in order to get through school and be successful. Um, we have people that, you know, have um, not gone to the doctor in months and months that have chronic issues and those will be coming up. So, you know, things like that, that are just um, individual issues are, are, present and large. And, you know, we're, we have our eyes wide open looking at how much larger they're going to get. So it's sort of a yin and a yang kind of thing, depending on the type of organization you particularly are. I think what is ubiquitous in terms of the struggle for nonprofits, regardless of type is just the struggle with pivoting strategy on a dime. And I don't think that this is really relegated, relegated to nonprofits. I think this has been, you know, schools, it's been um, governments, it's been uh, for-profits and, you know, you're settling into understanding that things are not going to go back to the way that they were. Um, You know, technology has been accelerated um, to the degree that I just don't think things will go back, uh, you know, exactly the way they were um, because of that adoption curve. But I do think that people hunger for connection and, and personal um, face-to-face connection. So I don't think we're all going to be virtual forever. But I think, you know, again, back to your question, I think that is ubiquitous. Folks have really struggled with that. They struggled in the nonprofit sector with you know, workforce issues um, on both accounts on losing work, workforce, needing to lay off and furlough and shut down arts organizations because there's no one, you know, that is coming back in droves or the overwork and burnout that is present among some that are just taxed to the hilt. Um, you know, a lot of nonprofits operate on a very lean model and they, they use volunteers as almost staff, right? And so when we lost all the volunteers, because of course, safety reasons, right? Understandable, but it's like losing your entire workforce there for some of the groups. And that's a lot of what was going on with some food banks that we had around the, the, um, the, um, the state and emergency assistance providers and anything that sort of face to face where you are, you know, all the time having corporate volunteers or faith-based volunteers coming in and doing the work that otherwise a staff would do. Yeah. But to your point, a lot of the things you mentioned um, are applicable to for-profit. They really, well. they really are. I mean, so yeah. many of our friends, right. And I'm sure you have personal friends too, that have been affected by this through furloughs or lays, you know, being laid off or reductions in force. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think we're at the end of that um, either. You know, I would love to say that we are, but, um, you know, hopefully the worst of it is over. But we, you know, I still see um, effects of that as, you know, the dynamics change. So, you know, workforce issues, technology issues, revenue issues, and just, 
you know, you had a certain revenue model, maybe you had a bunch of events and ticket sales and things like that. And suddenly now you don't, and you've got to pivot and kind of figure out, you know, what to do there. So it's been a very confusing time, I think, for everybody in community. And then add to that, you know, nonprofit uh, leaders and workers are humans, right? And they've got the same thing everybody else does. You know, they're trying to like work and do virtual school with their kids and, you know, protect themselves when they go out and, you know, all of the rest of it that everybody's got going on too. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I have one, uh, one more real question for you than a bonus question. Um, so as you've progressed, um, in your career and led bigger and bigger teams and talk to me about some of the, some of the leadership principles that you implore today to, um, make sure that your team is as successful as it can be. Yeah. Um, I think, again, I'm going to just fall back to strategy. I think the clearer you can be about what your strategy is and what people's role in that strategy is and your expectations for that, the better you're going to be able to lead. And so I think that having a very clear definition of your purpose, your mission, your strategy, what you are asking people to do is paramount, right? I think the next thing has really got to do with um, clear communication, right? And it's got to be clear, it's got to be consistent. And I think it needs to be um, very, um, it needs to be empathetic, you need to understand, kind of, particularly in this time, I think what people are going through, and that not everybody experiences things the way that you do. I always say everybody's got their junk in the trunk, right? And it's, um, you know, you, you've got to understand that. And I think that's the key to leading people. Um, and I think in order to do that, you somewhat have to have some empathy for yourself. You know, I always tell nonprofit leaders, you know, maybe take your cape off every now and then, right? Because, um, you know, I think you have to give yourself some grace and the more that you can understand that you have your own vulnerabilities and, um, and you try try to understand that you can be open to other people's as well. So I think, you know, it's, it's about that clear vision and strategy. It's about um, communication. It's about, um, you know, empathy, I think, uh, for the situation. And then I think this, the last thing is just, you know, it's, it's about being adaptable, or some people call it resilience in, in these days. And I think, that's just the recognition that you're not in control of everything. You can plan as best you can, but you're not in control and you need to just be able to take a breath and rely on the people around you. You put them on your team for a reason and you need to utilize them and challenge them to help you lead. Um, You're not necessarily on a boat by yourself. Right. So that's, I love it. And, and the Cape analogy is so great. So great. Um, they're, they're, leaders in general, but leaders of nonprofits feel pressure, um, in a, I think, in a unique way. Um, and so taking that cape off and being human is is important. Yeah, I think it really is, particularly in this time. And so, you know, I guess I would just encourage your leaders to do that, whether they're in a leadership role or not. You know, it's, it's okay. Yep. Everybody's got their stuff. Okay, bonus question. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is your favorite book or books that you sort of go back to again and again, uh, and, and why? Like business books? Just any books? No, yeah, it could oh be my anything. Gosh, you know, I guess I could. 
I'm going to give you a different answer because I guess I could give you a bunch of books, but, um, you know, I think I love to read, um, I really like to read articles in magazines like Harvard Business Review or Stanford Social Review or um, Forbes or, you know, I try to read a lot of different things, just a lot of different things. And I subscribe to this. I, I'm not making a commercial for it, but it's Apple has a product where you kind of get one subscription to all of these different periodicals and you can just go down these rabbit holes. And whether it is that you are reading about some environmental issue or something in another country or a literal, a legit business kind of, you know, kind of thing, I find that is more useful to me um, than necessarily book. Now, do I love books? Sure. I, you know, I read, I read books, but mostly just for fun, right? It's things that I enjoy reading um, occasionally a business book or a chapter two out of a business book. But I love, I love really that kind of thing where I'm jumping from article to article. And I like the long form articles, not the, the, the quickies, right. Where I'm really digging into something and then I can go into another one. So I think I approach things more as a researcher. It's a really weird trait, but I mean, I just do it. I got really intrigued with 5g and just went all over the place on that. And so, you know, it's just, that's just me. I love that. Well, and I asked a, another podcast guest who actually uh, works at American Cancer Society, and he had a similar answer. Um, so I get that. However, I'll, I will push you a little bit on just what about a fiction book? Like, what's your what's one of your favorites? Just so that people can go, oh, maybe I'll read. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, the one that I'm reading recently. Let me grab it. Uh, it's the history of riches. Oh, interesting. Because I love it because it has to do with a lot of things that are going on with social justice right now. Not a lot of people remember, um, but when you when you say it, they do. It's the the lunch counter episode and all of that. But it's the history of riches, and so you know those are the kinds of things that I just <laughs> kind of go down a rabbit hole in. Uh, you know, that's it's just strange. I just get on a tangent and go. All right, I'm going to add that to the list. Um, <laughs> Karen, thank you so much for uh, for for doing this. First of all, because um, and I'm going to share this with every leader of a nonprofit that I know, um, it, and I and I just appreciate so much of what you do for the community. Again, I've been a recipient of the, your company's help um, and nurturing, and so I just I just can't thank you enough for doing that. Well, thank you, and um, I we right back at you with forty eight and forty eight. Brilliant idea, love it. It just reminds me so much of like another brilliant idea that we were on the um, uh, leading edge of was a pro bono partnership, which has just blossomed in this amazing asset for community and 48 and 48 is turning out that same way. I could tell when you walked in the door, I was like, this is a great idea. So uh, congratulations to you too on that. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Bye. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening. 